Welcome to Sunday Morning at First Presbyterian Church. I'm Pastor Danny Deeth, and in response to the events of the amazing resurrection at Easter, it now becomes our job to discern how we respond to the events of Holy Week and Christ being raised from the dead. We are to discern how we are being led to live, to change our lives, to care for others, to welcome others to Christ's table. This is our call and our challenge. Let's do this together. Come on in. First lesson comes from Philippians 4, 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Sintichi to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, Help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the word of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everybody. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Jesus Christ. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is from the Gospel of Matthew. We are in Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14. As Vicki mentioned before, this is the wedding banquet. Yes, Josephine, this Listen again with fresh ears. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away. One to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. 
The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So who doesn't love a good wedding? Well, if you don't, just keep your hands down. I do. As a pastor, I do. Not all pastors like weddings because they can very easily be hijacked as a wedding service and become a worship of the bride and groom. But when it is focused on a service, at least for that time, usually... Even broken families can make nice-nice for the day, or at least an hour, or a couple of hours. The bride and the groom are celebrating their love together, a gift from God, that God is a third partner in their relationship, and it's exciting. This is the beginning of a new family. Weddings are fun. And then there's the reception, that might meet the more classical definition of fun. There is food, there is often music, there is often drink. Weddings are fun. Every once in a while though, just like funerals, weird things happen. I'm gonna share a few from my own experience, tell you what I learned from each of those, and then share a story someone told me from the 845 service, I'll tell you in just a second. So there was one occasion my niece was getting married at the beach outside, was 45 to 50 minutes late, which started out as a beautiful timed to the setting sun worship service event uh, was the original intent. But when we got there, it was pitch black because it started so late. Luckily, I knew what I was supposed to say and when. So we did, got through it in the dark. What do I learn? I now carry a little teeny flashlight on a keychain in my little wedding notebook. There was one, another wedding where it got time for the exchange of the rings. What is the best man's job, simply enough, other than to stand up straight and not fall over? It is often to have the rings. He had the groom's ring, but thought someone else had the bride's ring. It wasn't there. So I slipped off my ring, and she got married with my wedding ring. 
I, I don't know if that makes me Mormon. Or I, I, I don't know what that makes me. Another time we're at the ring service and she could not, the bride could not get the ring over her knuckle. I don't know if it was the adrenaline or, or what the issue was. Finally, she wrestled it on through great pain. So what I learned from, oh, I didn't tell you my last one. So when the ring didn't show up, I started carrying gold metallic twist ties. Therefore, if one is missing, I can simply wrap it around their finger. They'll get the rings later, but they have something in the moment. They can keep it. Fun story. For the one that didn't, I carry a little tube of Vaseline just to squirt right on the knuckle. It's lip balm, actually. It goes right over so she can just, just get that on. I was at another beach wedding, and it was miserable hot. Look nice. Everybody lost 15 pounds of sweat that day. So thankfully, not in the robe. I was in my formal Hawaiian shirt, as they were. And the audiovisual guy, who was also the DJ, did not have a smaller lapel mic that you would just clip on, unobtrusive, clip on my belt, didn't have that. He wanted to put a mic stand with a handheld mic there which I refused because that, to me, degrades from the worship space you're trying to create. And so the only thing I could figure out how to do, and again, thankful, I had a short button-down shirt on and was sweating profusely, as we all were. So I duct taped to my chest, with duct tape to my chest, this handheld microphone that you couldn't see, it was because it was under my shirt, just the end was poking out, so I just talked a little bit like this. And then I won't tell you how I got that off and what that moment was like after. One more for me. We waited a half an hour for the bride's mother. No show. 45 minutes, hour, hour 15. Where is the bride's mother? Well, she finally got there. This was pre-everybody having cell phones. This is several churches ago for me. Apparently, her house was on fire, and she couldn't get out. She, she was fine. She was out of the house, but trapped by the first responders who were there putting out the fire in her house. But she made it, and so I learned from that not to be too judgmental, about why people are late for a wedding until you talk to them. So this morning, this is a good Jim Campbell story. Jim was the best man for a friend of his who had been his best man at his wedding. And the bride was Jewish and the groom was Roman Catholic. So they had a rabbi and a priest setting up for a joke, I know, but it's not. This happened and Jim, best man, is watching up next to them, and there's a candle that's near a big leafy frond thing that is laying over and dangerously close. He's watching. It starts to brown. It starts to smoke. Then it catches fire. Jim runs up, puts it out, blows out the candle, goes back, sits down. Very efficient. Well done, Jim. And so at the end of the service, the rabbi is finishing up and says, we know you will live a long and happy and healthy life because you have been blessed 
by a rabbi, a priest, and a burning bush. <laughs> nice. You can ask Jim about that. He lived it. He was there. So today we are in Matthew's gospel, and it is a parable about a wedding banquet. This did not happen. This is a teaching tool, a story that Jesus tells to illustrate a point. As rabbi, as master teacher, he often would tell these stories, these parables, to help us understand difficult information in a little bit more tangible ways. So in Matthew 22, Jesus is already come in on Palm Sunday. That happens in Matthew 21, the prior chapter. He's come in on the donkey, Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus is finishing up his talk with the scribes and the Pharisees at the temple. He is not holding anything back. He is pounding them, convicting them on how they have misled the people exploited their positions for their own benefit, and not been faithful. This is the third of three similar parables that Jesus tells to illustrate what the kingdom of heaven will be like. The first one is a small one about a vineyard owner and his two sons, and asks the first one, will you come and work in the vineyard? And he says, no, but then later on comes and works. And then the second son says, um, yes, I'll be there, and never shows up. And Jesus asked the scribes and the Pharisees, which one of these did the right thing? And Jesus says, y'all just don't get it. Even the tax collectors and the prostitutes will get into the, get into the kingdom of heaven before you. Second one is another vineyard, but a longer parable of the, the landowner who set up the vineyard, the press, the watchtower, all the vines, and then leased it out. And it came time for the harvest. The landowner sent his slaves to collect what was due him. And to paraphrase this, they killed the servants. The king said, that the landowner said, I'll send my son. Certainly they'll respect him. They killed the son. King gets mad, wipes it out. And then here we're in the third one. And at the end of that second, let me give you a summary statement for all three of these. It says, therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. So in that second parable, they were not growing the vineyards. They were not producing the fruit they were supposed to. So the landowners taking them away, got rid of them, bringing new ones in. And thus we get into our parable for today, this wedding banquet. Again, didn't happen, all symbolic. God is the king, Jesus is the son. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son, sent them to collect those who had been invited, but they would not come. Now, the first thing is they had already been invited. He just didn't go out and say, hey, you want to come? Hey, you want to come? That would come later. 
but the invitations had been issued, the assumption is that they said they were going to come, so much so the king knew exactly how much food to prepare. How many of us have prepared a party, killed a fatted calf, and nobody showed up? Mm-hmm. I know it. But they refused to come. So they sent again, hey, I've killed the oxen, I've killed a fatted calf, I've slaughtered everything, I've cooked everything, the table is set, come to the banquet. But they made fun of him and then left. And this is when they seize his slaves, mistreat them, and kill them. So this first part, I want us to realize that God invited first a small group for this invitation. But they would not come even though they said they would. Then he said again, the wedding is ready, but those invited are not worthy. Go into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. They did. They gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. Vicky's translation said good and evil to the wedding hall, and it was filled with guests. So first of all, God's will will be done whether we do our part or not. God's banquet table is open to all. In this parable, not just the good and the bad, but the good and the evil. Evil are welcomed in God's kingdom at this banquet table. That's what Jesus says verbatim. It comes to a point where if that first group, like the first group in the vineyard, they're not producing fruit, then God will go elsewhere and extend that invitation. This is also seen as one of the first outreaches to the Gentiles. If the leadership of the temple that condemned and ultimately, along with the Romans, killed Christ, now Christ is opening up, not rescinding the invitation from the house of Israel. They are still invited, but so too are others. Those others are us the Gentiles, those who are worthy and those who are not, which category do we fit in? Both. We are made in God's image. We are beautiful. We have God's divine spark within us. And yet on a daily basis, we choose against God. We refuse to take action, to seek to further God's kingdom on this earth. We are in both of those categories, and thank God. Those people who received the invitations didn't do so because they earned it. They didn't do it because they were good people. It came at the pleasure of the king. In this case, God's invitation for grace through Christ is for the world. And it is our job to understand that and to know that all, even the bad, even the evil, they're not issued on belief in this parable. They're not issued on the amount of time you donate, on what you donate, on how good you think you are or trying to be faithful, good and the bad, even the evil. God wants at the table because God can do something 
with the good and the bad, those evil. So the first thing is we all have that invitation, whether we have officially responded in some kind of conversion moment or this is an ongoing process. Our job is to realize that we have been invited and to go into the world to make sure they know, you know, friends, that you are invited to God's kingdom in this earth and the next. God's kingdom is not just afterlife, it is now. It came when Christ came and it is in our care. And our job is to realize that we have been invited and go out and invite others to come to this feast. So then what's this last mess about this guy who is thrown out because he wasn't dressed appropriately? Hmm, seems very vengeful, God who loves all. When the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. He said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? He was speechless, tossed him out behind his hand and the foot, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many are called, few are chosen. So what is that about? How does God hold this one man responsible who was brought in off the street? He woke up this morning, he was just tootalooing down Jerusalem Avenue when people came out and said, hey, want to come to a wedding banquet? Sure, let's go. He didn't know he was going. How could he dress appropriately for that event? And why then does God hold him accountable? Real quick, it's because he refused to wear what was given him. There is a Jewish tradition. Uh, there, there's a garment called a kittel, K-I-T-T-E-L. And real quickly, it's what a Jewish groom wears to complement uh, the bride's white dress. It speaks of purity. It speaks of holiness. It speaks of uh, humbleness as they start their new life together. And in some branches of Judaism, they purchase this robe for their wedding and they wear it at high holy days. If you lead the, the Seder meal, you put on your kittle. And then they're buried in it at the time of their death. So this is a, a holy garment. And so... My contention here is that they all would have been given the proper wedding robes when they got there. Because it's not just this one man who was brought in off the street. If half to three quarters of the people, if not 90% of the people were all off the street, none of them would have had the proper uh, uh, wedding attire. So how come only this one is signaled out? because they gave them the proper wedding robe when they got there. This man chose intentionally not to put on the wedding robe that honored the king, that honored the son. That man was there to have him some fatted calf. That man was there to have him some water turned into wine. That man was there to hang out with the other folks there was free food, there was entertainment, but did not want 
to do anything in response to the invitation that he was given. And for us, it's symbolic of the invitation that we all receive. The very essence of the invitation is a transformed life. A transformed life. That doesn't mean that in a heartbeat everything is different, you never sin again, and you and Jesus are holding hands, skipping off into the sunset together. Transformation means that you are open and you are seeking Christ. You are not only there to take the easy parts of worship and being a part of a church family, being a part of the body of Christ, but you're there to take the next level. That clothing ourselves is an image that Paul uses in several places in Romans and Colossians, 1 Corinthians and even 1 Peter talks about being clothed with Christ. This guest refused to do so. He wanted to come and eat and take the easy stuff and not have to be bound by what the king of that party was asking or to celebrate the sun. Our challenge here is that we don't become like this man. That we, we zip in for the easy stuff. Yes, uh, Lord, forgive me. I'm out. Boom, till next week. Nothing ever changes. You never seek to go any further in your relationship with Christ, with your faith community, with the larger community. It is in being invited that we are transformed when we allow ourselves to be clothed in Christ. So those are our pieces for today, for this parable. Realize whether you have responded to the call of Christ or not, that the invitation is there. And when you take it, the essence is a transformed life, meaning you can tell that you are seeking Christ in the way that you live and the things that you do. All these people had good excuses, as do we. One commentator said, the antithesis of faith is preoccupation. We are overworked, we are overplaying, and we are always tired. What gets pushed to the end? Our faith and our God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. We always seem to make time for the things that we want to do, and then... Heaven can wait, church can wait, my life can wait, plenty of time, sync up with Jesus later on. Christ through this parable is saying the time is now. So look and reevaluate your invitation. Even if you have followed before, let's recommit ourselves to this invitation today so that then we can take it out and invite others to come to this banquet, this kingdom of heaven that exists now and in the afterlife. And then let us seek to live a transformed life that is one that is observably seeking and serving and learning. The invitations have been invited. Let us now respond. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, fill us with your spirit. It is not that we don't love you or don't seek to follow you, but so often our preoccupations take us over and there is no time for you 
because we know that you will forgive us and we can try again next week when maybe our schedule is not as heavy. But Lord, you know we need to flip that script. The invitation in the invitation is the gift of transformation. Would we allow ourselves to be clothed in you, risen Christ? Let us start again today to seek you, not just say we believe in you, but to live like we believe. And let us accept the invitation again and start fresh. Amen.